Hello there and welcome to the Get French Football News Preview Show. I'm Nathan Staples and joining me this evening is Adam White. The international break, uh, well, the final international break of the season is over, but so is the last chance to impress Didier Deschamps before the run-up to the tournament. So who got themselves on the plane and who's still taxiing on the runway? All of that and a look ahead to the Ligue 1 weekend and a Coupe de la Ligue final to look forward to after the latest headlines. France managed to put Friday's Blues behind them by beating Russia in St. Petersburg on Tuesday 3-1. Paul Pogba scored a wonderful free kick and laid on an assist for the first of Kylian Mbappe's double with Fedor Smolov uh, grabbing the consolation for the hosts. In the aftermath of the match, FIFA are investigating allegations of racist chanting. Pogba and Usman Dembele were the reported targets of the abuse from some sections of the support, which does not look good for the hosts of the World Cup in just over two months' time. And that's all for now. But for all the latest in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with that result in Russia, really. Adam, we, we talked about on Monday's pod um, the disappointment that they had in the game against Colombia, but this was a bit more of a positive performance and a change in formation, more importantly. They made eight changes overall to the squad. Um, but what did you think to the change? Because this the argument for many would be that the 4-4-2 slash 4-2-3-1 that they started against Colombia suits Griezmann a lot better in that attacking role next to Giroud, whereas a 4-3-3 suits Pogba more, who did in this game turn up with an excellent goal and a, and a good uh, assist to, to Kylian Mbappe as well. What do you think suits this squad better and which superstar really do you think they should be leaning on? It's a really interesting question. I think there are so many, so many sort of nuances to how you deploy France's, you know, they've got France's stars, so their star players and the oodles of talent that they have. The squad, if, as you run down the list, is a bit ridiculous as to how how good, you know, their strength in depth is. Um, and for me, I think at international level, it's very difficult to to sort of engender kind of cohesion in international teams quickly. So it's it's almost like you have to one be solid and organised or you kind of rely or try and get the best out of your star players, especially if you're one of the bigger nations who's expected to compete for for the for the for the trophies, if you like. So for me, I think on on ability, you know, the France's best players are Griezmann, Pogba, and Mbappe, and to some extent Kante as well. And you kind of want to find the formation that gets the best out of those those three or even four players. Um, and you're absolutely right that that Pogba uh, it's much more suited to a 4-3-3. 4-3-2 does not suit him. I really don't think he can play in a two alongside a holding midfielder. Man United have struggled with him there this season. And he's been at his best. I think away at Everton, he was particularly good when he had more forward-thinking role in a three-man midfield. He's almost only got one position, probably. He has to play as like an Italian kind of mezzala, where that sort of inside winger, if you like. And he sort of has a bit of freedom and scope. So, And at the Euros, he was sort of okay, because he's still a good player. He still played that position relatively well. But he's by no means the Pogba that Juventus fans enjoyed so for me of the two i like 433 slightly better um but overall I, if i was if i was Deschamps, if i was france manager i'd look to play a diamond 
Um, because I, I first of all, I think for international football, it's nice to, or it's, it's almost beneficial to sort of buy into your own footballing identity, national identity. And the the, the Carre Magic of the of the eighties is probably is you know hardwired into France's sort of footballing identity. So I'd go with the diamond, and I'd get Pogba on the left of a sort of a three deep midfielders. I'd play Kante the other side, so he doesn't have to be the deepest midfielder, which I don't think is the best position by any means. He needs to be a bit more mobile. And I'd use a defensive midfielder, possibly Rabiot or Kondogbia there, maybe even. I know he's not been in the squad for a long time. He's been playing very well for Valencia. And then I think you get two up front. So you get Valen- you get um, Griezmann and Mbappe together, both are strikers, both are better centrally. And arguably both are good in a 4-4-2. Monaco played 4-4-2 last season, obviously wonderfully well. Mbappe was fantastic there. And Atletico Madrid played 4-4-2 with Griezmann alongside a striker very well and and it suits both those players obviously there are caveats to you know you're not used to playing without each other they probably play with different different forwards to to to, to each other but in in essence that's their best position which leaves you with a with a number 10 or an attacking the point of the diamond which could you know there are a lot of options for that lamar fakir quite a few players could play there so i, I would personally favor a diamond but i don't know that the champ would do that so personally i think 433 is slightly better because griezmann and mbappe still are good in those sort of wide positions if they need to play there, whereas Pogba really isn't good in a 4-4-2. Yeah, I, th- I think you've hit the nail on the head. That's the kind of hybrid formation of the two that gets the best out of their best players, which, like you say, are really, even if you you count the, the, the incredible talent that they have, um, would be Pogba, uh, Griezmann and Mbappe, especially on form. But I know, I know a lot of will concede that that means you would be pretty much eliminating someone like uh, Coman as well, who's had a good season, although he's obviously injured at the moment, may not make the squad. Um, the likes of Dembele, you might argue Lamar is probably better out wide um, more consistently at least. But like you do is also say it does open the door more or less for, for someone like Fakir, if he can build on that form that he had at the first half of the season, or or Corentin Tolisso could play as that number 10 role as well. Have Rabio mm. the one side as well as, as the as the opposite side to Pogba as a shuttling midfielder. That's another option. The only problem with that formation for me would be, and it's the problem with the 4-2-3-1 as well on occasions, not just because of that midfield, is because of the the fullback roles. Because at the moment, at least anyway, the, the, the front runners for those positions really are either one of Dean or Kozawa and Sidibe. And unfortunately... That's not really ideal. Benjamin Mundy will obviously be the left-back choice if he was fit, but there's very much a question mark whether he will be back in time, whether he'll have enough game time to be even be up to full speed. You may even argue that there may be even Jordan and Marvy might be an option there, but maybe, again, they're still very attacking-minded fullbacks, especially Sidi Bay on the other side. Um, he can't really defend is maybe the best way to put it really for a fullback and when you're playing a four a diamond formation really you need fullbacks that can defend because there is so much space behind them um, and there is so much that they can leave spare with only sort of a three-man defense if you will with a defensive midfielder and uh, and the two center backs so using those players that they had at the weekend again well sorry not the weekend on Tuesday in, in Lucas Hernandez and Pavar that that are more defensively minded and giving them a chance. And they did reasonably well. I mean, both of them can get forward as well, but they're probably a little bit more defensively signed than the other options that they at least had um, during these friendlies in Dean and, and Sidi Bay. Um, I thought they both did relatively well in, in, in debuts for each of them. And both showed that they are an option for them. And they're positive of those two as well as they also sort of double up as options for centre-back. And I think that's can only be a, a good thing in these kind of squads where you in a World Cup scenario, you might run short in one position and it's good to have someone comfortable in moving inside. That's why I also think someone 
that we've mentioned on Monday, someone who we've put in our own squad, in fact, on the on the piece that went up on The Guardian today with our, our very own Eric DeVille, and I know you were consulted on that one as well, Adam. Um, one, Jeffrey Condogbeer, who would be a great option for them, not just as a holding midfielder, but it's probably the closest option they have to someone like Angolo and Kante, who we talked about this on Monday, and I, I think I'll ask you the same question, because he's maybe, in a weird way, even though he's not, probably the best player. He's their most important player because at the moment, with the squad that they have without Kondogbia, there's not a natural or even close to natural replacement for him. No, that's absolutely right. And um, I think it's definitely, although we talked a lot about France's sort of issues at fullback, it's also kind of an issue at, at, at sort of the sentinel position, the holding midfield position. And I think Kondogbia would be a great option there. And it would be really good to see him, you know, I didn't get in the squad this time, which was bizarre considering how good he's been for Valencia this season, especially in the last few games. He's been fantastic. Um, and I feel like it's it's an obvious choice to include him because he's, you know, he can he can play there and he can play slightly further forward as well. And it and it frees up Kante. And and I, I honestly think it, it generally gets to me when when Chelsea and and France play Kante as the deepest midfielder. I think Kante, I know Kante, he's a brilliant player. He genuinely is a brilliant player. And he's very, very good at defensive midfield. But he's at his best when he's mobile and he, he, he can sort of firefight and he can he can get he can be everywhere. Ranieri said once that he wouldn't be surprised if Ranieri crossed if, if, uh, Kante crossed the ball in and headed it in himself because when he was at Leicester he played alongside it must have been Drinkwater and he had a lot more freedom and he was so good like that and it just feels like he's been limited. Although he's been great for Chelsea, don't get me wrong, he's been brilliant. But it feels like his his effect on the game's been limited a bit by that. So um, France are lacking options there, and and I would argue that Kante is probably he's probably the arguably the best, but he's also it's not really his best position either. So it's definitely somewhere they sh- they it's, they've missed an opportunity in this international break to give Kondogbia a try or even give other players in that position a try. I, I actually personally think Adrian Rabiot is not too bad in that position, even though he he said doesn't like playing there and he's he's kind of made his opinion very clear about that at PSG and has been used less there and should have been used there for the first Real Madrid leg and I'm amazed he wasn't. He was just sort of allowed to say he doesn't want to play there, which is amazing. But there there are other options there and they, I would have seen liked seen a few more given a chance over this over this week. Isn't it isn't it funny to think that um, that we Fabio just decides to play where is that that's an indictment on known I am really but back to yeah. sort of the, the the game itself really I I I managed to catch a bit of this game really and it was an interesting one really the Russia side are in a bit of a mess in all honesty they've lost Alexander Kokorin who's, who was their great hope in, in many ways and he's out with that crucial leaving and he'll miss the tournament and they made a couple of stops but when you look at the squad I mean um, they played Lunev instead of uh, Akinfeyev in goal and he made a pretty bad mistake for the third goal letting it go through his legs it wasn't that easy and when you've got a sort of 34 year old Yuri Zhirkov playing left wing back um, it maybe speaks a lot of statements about what they've got really when you look at as well Roman Neustadt is playing as a centre back instead of a midfielder usually a sort of a defensive midfielder they don't look very good to be fair but at the same time France allowed them to look a little bit better than they actually were. They had a f- couple of good chances. Lloris was forced into a couple of good saves. The defence has been a, a question mark over these two friendlies. And Titi and Koscielny were the, the pairing for this one. And neither looked particularly assured. Titi looks a little bit tired, really. Maybe um, might might have been worth giving him a rest on this game. But Didier Deschamps did at least pull him off a, just before the end, at least to give Presno Kimpembe a look in as well. But it just didn't quite click as fluently as as they would have hoped. I thought Marshall had a decent game, showed little glimpses. I thought Mbappe was was 
good again, even in a central role. He doesn't look as comfortable on his own in those kind of roles. But when he does get in behind where he likes to be, where he does for the first goal, especially in a great um, little slide rule pass from Paul Pogba to, to set him on his way in a good finish, um, I think he's really good on that half turn, which makes you think of the positives of him and Griezmann being in that one one much more adept at sort of stretching play in behind teams in Mbappe and, and one who does like to come short and run at teams in a Antoine Griezmann, it could make a, an interesting partnership. But the positive really for France, at least, was Paul Pogba, I think. Um, I, I, I thought he was really good in this game. It's the best we've seen of Pogba for a good um, couple of months, at least. He's been sort of stifled at Manchester United, both the game time and confidence, really, recently. And there was, there was a couple of moments where he wasn't at tip-top shape, and I think that's excusable given what's sort of gone ahead of him um, in the last couple of weeks. But he did look a lot better. He scored a really nice free kick as well. And uh, the hope is that, uh, as Manchester United fan, I suppose, that he's building in confidence. But definitely for a France fan, that um, if he can build on this now, when he does return to, to club and, and, and ends the season nice and well and stays fit and everything like that, that's all the important things, then uh, he will still be a very, very important player for France um, heading into the tournament as one of the favourites as they should really be um, let's move on now Adam to the, the weekend head because it's, it's jam-packed really we've got not only Ligue 1 football we'll, the Coupe de France uh, sorry the Coupe de la Ligue final um, that we'll discuss just before the end as well between PSG and Monaco which uh, it's always nice to have the first piece of silverware of the season but I wanted to start with um, the, the first game of the weekend and it does come on a Saturday this weekend there's no Friday game given that um, Paris Saint-Germain played that game against Angers back at the Wednesday before and Monaco's game against Rennes is suspended well suspended until midweek at least anyway um, until that Wednesday so Saturday has one game um, and that's between Dijon and Marseille and an interesting one really Adam it's obviously between a Marseille side who are still licking their wounds a little bit over that Lyon result before the international break they'll also be disappointed that Florian Tovan will be missing out um, he had to head home um, from the French squad before the trip to Russia with it with a little bit of a, a knock and he will be missing this one they're facing a team that are incredible at home really we've mentioned it a few times and there was a little piece on me a little bit of a plug for the, for the the amount of times they've won at home this season, it's slowed down a little bit in recent weeks. At least anyway, they got a draw last time at home against Amiens. But before then, it was well, eight wins in a row. I said, well, eight wins out of nine, really. And they're, they're a terrific side and something you don't really want to face it in this kind of uh, moment. It's a sticky one for Marseille, especially them knowing that they really need a win in this one. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. It is a, it is a sticky one. And given that they lost... Last night to Leon, what was a brilliant game. Um, the, the the gaps what narrowed to what two points at the uh, between third and fourth. You kind of feel like Monaco sixty six points, seven points clear of eight games to go. They're pretty much there in terms of second, and it's between Marseille and Leon. And both of those sides, you know, would have set a minimum expectation of making the the top three this season. And this is the kind of game where, in the run in, where Marseille are going to have to are going to have to you know pull something out of the bag because. As we said before, okay, Dijon's form is possibly a little bit at home anyway, dropped off, but they're they're tenth in the table. They've got an outside chance of Europa League, and it's a very very difficult place to go. You know they're going to attack. You know they're going to come at you, and you know that it's going to be a hard fought game. They're not going to make it easy for Marseille by any means, and they'll be thinking that you know eight games to go, they're tenth, and they've got what four. Only six points to sixth, which is very likely to be a Europa League spot if PSG win the Coupe de France, which you imagine they will. That's doable, and that'd be a huge achievement for a club like Dijon. And it would be well deserved given how well they've played this season and and the type of football that Olivier Delalio has implemented there. 
So this is the kind of game that if Marseille do come third, and although it's obviously very, uh, it's a long way from making a Champions League group stage if you finish third, because it's very difficult in the qualifiers, although that might change a little bit next season with the top four from the top four leagues going into the group. So there's a little bit of caveat there for Marseille. But it's all the type of game to look back on and say, if, they, if it's within a three-point margin to Leon, that's where they that's where they you know won that third place. So a big game for both, both teams, and um, it could be crucial for Marseille come the end of the year. Yeah, especially in... in- Credit to Dijon, really, this season. They've had a fantastic year, really. It's only the second year back in Liga, and that many thought at the start of the season they were going down. And at the start of the season, really, uh, within those first eight games, they were 17th. They'd only drawn uh, four games, that, although there was an impressive result against Leon away from home. But there was four losses in that as well, and they just lost out to PSG the week after that. So nine games in, they're, they're in a drought. And then all of a sudden, this surge of form comes really and they, They've really catapulted themselves well out of that drop zone and well out of that relegation fight. There's, they're 10 points above the, the drop zone now. There's there's no way they're going to be dragged in with the amount of teams in between them there. But they're not... Also, at the same time, they're, they're not at least... A, well, they're at least closer to those Europa League places, only um, eight points off a fifth-place Ren. So a credit to them this season. They've been really good to watch as well, they're, especially at home. They're, they are goal scorers. They they also concede goals as well. But they're always an entertaining team. And I, I think uh, there's a great piece on, on Liga and's website this weekend as well for, for someone who's really impressed me this season. And, and we've not really mentioned him enough, I don't think. And that's uh, Wesley Saeed, um, which may be a little bit of a joke, really, at Wren. Um, for the longest time, he he never really quite got the game time he hoped for. Um, he couldn't score the goals that they needed. And Wren were desperately sort of searching for striker for years. And, and he was another one of those casualties. But he's been excellent for Dijon, especially in the last couple of weeks. Um, he's linked up perfectly with Julio Tavares. Um, obviously, the role that Luis Dione sort of played last season as the goal scorer next to the uh, the hold-up play of the of the bigger Cape Verde international. And uh, it's been really impressive. And you hazard to forget that Saeed is only 22. So there's still possibly plenty to come from him really he got that double against Montpellier the other week as well really impressive season for him and and he's starting to show a little bit more than what we saw previously I mean we saw that move in the summer we didn't think too much of it really we thought that it was maybe another move for another league and player going to another league and club and, and just showing something but maybe at his age and his goal scoring form at least anyway at the moment that um some people might be attracted to him in the summer wouldn't be too surprising if uh, if maybe a, a championship club or another league on side, maybe a, a Saint-Étienne or a Bordeaux that are looking for, for strikers still, and um, whether he might be an option for them. If he continues the way he's he sort of resurged, especially in the second half of the season, um, it'd be really impressive to see if they, anyone does try and jump in with a, with a sneaky offer for Dijon. But let's get some predictions starting now. So I'll start with you, Adam. Um, what do you think the result will be in this one? Oh, um, 2-1 Marseille. Hmm. I'm going to go for the reverse of 2-1 Dijon. I, I won't hide it. Um, I've really enjoyed Dijon this season. A credit to, to Dalio. That he's, he's done terrifically with this squad. Um, and they just have a feeling that Marseille maybe have, that loss last week might have just dipped. And looking at their games left really this season, this is probably, and maybe a little bit out there, looking at some of the teams that they've already faced, obviously. But they look at the games they've got less of Amiens, Gangomp, Nice at home, Angers, Lille, Montpellier at home is probably their most difficult game left, especially because it's away from home against a side that are so good in front of their uh, their own fans. It's it's going to be a real stickler. And I just think that this uh, this might be on them and makes that 
for a well, interesting race really for for third even more interesting but moving on to two games that really important for again for the pot on the table and i suppose this seems to happen every week at the moment really um starting with the one where Lille will be hosting amien there's just three points between the two sides Lille in 19th and amien in 16th um a big result for either of them really here adam if they can win it but i'll start with Lille, who in fairness to us last the last preview show two weeks ago we all predicted a hammering really against monaco that didn't end up coming in. They, they started relatively well. They got on the front foot and scored the goal, but eventually Monaco's quality saw through, but they only lost 2-1. That might just be the start of a confidence booster for them. But at the same time, this is now their first game back at home in front of what will be at least a part more partially shut stadium, at least for, until further notice as part of the, uh, the LFP's um, ordering from that. What do you think in this one for them? Do you think that maybe they can build on that? Well, not necessarily the result, but at least the performance against Monaco and maybe the fact that there is a quieter stadium, at least anyway, than it was the last time they went there, that they can maybe build from that and gain some confidence in, in the fact that they don't have as many prying eyes on them in the stands. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a couple of things you say about it. I think it, you're right. It's, it's a really interesting situation they find themselves in. Um, I think, first of all, Leo, um, if they had time, they'd be OK eventually. Christoph Gareth is a very astute manager. He, he gets the best out of average teams, as we saw at Sanetti. You know, he'd never had the best squad, really. And especially towards the end of his tenure there, you know, he, he really got the best out of an average side. And to be honest, Leo have some decent enough players, and, but they're overall, obviously, they're lacking confidence and they've had a disastrous season with Bielsa, the situation there. And and they're very young and they lack that kind of experience. But they, there is enough talent for them to be a decent ish mid league inside and Gauti will get that out of them eventually but there's obviously only eight games to go so he, he may not have enough time to get them playing as he would do eventually in this league if they uh, and and they could easily get relegated so you what you said about the stadium makes is sort of a double-edged sword because yes you're right um it's going to be quieter i think it's isn't it it's closed entirely until further notice i, I think it is yeah yeah i'm finding that now yeah yeah which is which is obviously for a home side it, it takes so much from your home advantage, but there is also the feeling that the Stadio Amor is one of those stadiums a bit like the Velodrome, I think, where when it's going badly, it becomes a bit of a you know a bit of a black hole. You, it becomes almost counterproductive because the fans kind of get on top of you and they, you know it's half full and it kind of has that you kind of get that sense that it's not necessarily playing into the home team's hands and the home advantage isn't perhaps what it would be. So it remains to be seen which one of those those sort of sides of the same coin, if you like, will come either to Lille's rescue perhaps or be yeah, the final kind of you know undoing. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they react as a team because you could see them quite easily playing a bit more confidence, knowing that they're not going to get, you know, they're not going to get... Uh, not necessarily abuse, but not going to sort of have to suffer the frustrations of the fans. So that could be a positive. But then Amion going there, knowing that it's basically a neutral venue, it's behind closed doors. You know, there's there's no pressure on them either. So it's it's going to be very interesting to see how they react over their their last few games and their last the remaining home games are Amion here, Gangon, uh, Metz, and Dijon. So they're sort of you know very winnable games. But they're also sides, perhaps Gangon excluded, who are going to come and want to play, come and want and take points too. Then they haven't got any, you know, they haven't got any sort of easy-looking games at all, or games that you would necessarily expect them to win. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it, and it could be, it, it's very, it, it'd be really will probably be the difference between them being in the bottom three or not being in the bottom three. 
Yeah, absolutely. That That's the interesting thing for Lille and Galtier at the moment, looking at the fixtures left for them, because obviously there's just this run now, obviously with the international breaks all over with now. Um, you mentioned the home games and the away games are against Bordeaux, which is either there or thereabouts this this season and at the moment really you can't really tell which side's uh, going to turn up at an away game with a might say which would strike off but that's by far their most difficult game left a, a way to Toulouse and a way to Sintetti and are both winnable games really as well when you think that Dijon obviously they've got them up at home as well and Dijon have had a the worst away record in the league this season Mets might already be down pretty much by the time they face them even though it's four games left they they pretty much dead and buried as it is Gangomp seem to have turned off the engines already but at the same time this is an important game for them to maybe get some momentum in against the Namien team that in fairness to them, maybe gone a slightly under the radar, at least anyway, that they, they haven't lost it. Well, they've only lost once in their last five games, but at the same time, there's three uh, draws in there. One, you can take Dijon getting a point from them is, is, is no mean feat this season, but the point against Toulouse, especially when they were le- uh, sorry, not, uh, the point against Toulouse is not a bad one, but at the same time, you feel like with the way they're playing this season that you wanted to get maybe the three points off Liviole if you could. Um, the the result of the weekend, well, last weekend as well, that against Twab, the, the sort of penalty game it almost was really, where they both shared penalties. You, you felt that maybe I mean maybe should be taking advantage of a, a Twab side that have been pretty poor in recent weeks. What do you think, Adam? They've they've sort of stuttered into little bits of form every so often this season and come unstuck. But looking at their games remaining, especially when you know that they've got to play Lyon, Monaco, Paris Saint-Germain and Marseille in the last eight games, which is no mean feat for any of the teams down there. Um, this is an absolutely massive game for them to maybe give themselves some breathing room ahead of that sort of gauntlet to, to finish the season. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's uh, You're right about Amman sort of stuttering into some form. I, I, I kind of sort of, when, you, when I think about their sort of prospects staying up, I kind of kind of skate that they've got, they've got a little bit of quality. And obviously, at the bottom end of the table, that's in short supply. And Gail Kakuta is is a really good example. He's been not great since Christmas, but beforehand, he was absolutely brilliant. And obviously, he scored that super goal that that um, that uh, gave the victory over at Nantes. And I, I kind of feel like they may just have a little bit extra over a few. They've made some very astute signings, haven't they? And, and they may they sort of they're a little bit extra over some of the teams around them. And Musa Kanati is another one who's. He can be a bit erratic, but he's a top scorer this season. He's closing in on double figures, and I, I really like Bongani Zunu and uh, Zungu, sorry, in midfield. He's been really good this season. So is Thomas Monkondui. You know, they've got they've got some they've got some quality that that all right is a bit erratic and perhaps isn't necessarily the highest of league and levels, but compared to the team around them, it might teams around them it might be enough to sort of drag them out of trouble. And as you said, they they kind of have started into form occasionally. And I kind of see that happening until the end of the season. But as you said, huge caveat in the fact that their remaining games are so are so tough. But you look at their home games and OK, PSG, um, not not the best, but they could have won the league by then. They probably will have, you know, it, it is not necess- at home. It's not necessarily a, a lost cause. And then Con, Strasbourg and Metz, the other three, take two wins from those and they're sort of pushing towards 30, that's 37 points, you know, maybe nick a couple of draws. And I don't think you'll need the magic 40 points this season to stay up. So there's a lot of hope for, for Amion. And, and it'd be great to see Christopher Pellissier uh, put it off and, and keep them in the league. He's a good coach and he's had a, he's had an interesting career. And I think he's sort of a, an interesting character in the league. And so it'd be good to see them stay up. But they, they'll be quite, quite confident, I think, going ahead. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one, really. They, it's, it's strange that... 
they've not really picked up the three points at the same time in any of the, the three important games, although that, that win against Nantes was was a handy one when it came. It just feels like maybe they could have had a little bit more of a of a distance for themselves, given that they're they are really probably the other than Strasbourg just above them, that they may be the upper echelon and, and maybe a, a victory here might just nudge them and a little bit further away that, that no one can catch them unless they're starting to drag Gengompe, Cole and uh, Angers back into it really. But I think this will be an interesting game. It, it's a tough one pr- to predict though. I'm going to go for a one-all draw. I think Amiens will keep on um, getting points really just a little bit and, and frustrating Lille that little bit further. But at the same time, that might bring Toi back into it as they face Nice at the weekend. Uh, what do you think, Adam? I think a draw as well, but maybe nil-nil. Not one to recommend, at least for your uh, <laughs> Sunday night viewing, at least anyway. But um, the other interesting one at the the bottom of the table does bring in that Strasbourg side that are probably just on the uh, the upper echelon of the the current teams, at least anyway, on thirty two points. And, and the bottom side, Mets, who we keep giving final chances to, but they they keep maybe just about clinging on to things. Really, um, they've they've not been bad in the recent weeks again. It feels like sometimes Mets are on the on the verge of maybe staging of of the latest of comebacks. It looked like against Nantes they were they were pretty good for a lot of that game. Really, in fairness to them, they they had a couple mm. of chances. They got themselves in front. Not maybe a little bit lucky to get back into it. And the Mets never really forced themselves back into it. But it, it again felt well, right, one of those games. If it, if it needs to happen, it needs to happen now. But Looking at the games left for them as well, if they can get something here, there's there's Caen, there's Lille, there's Angers, there's Amiens, there's Bordeaux, there's not, there's winnable games at least anyway. But and I, I know we've said it about two or three times this season, really. This at this moment in time, with the points that they have, seven points off of off of Lille, um, eight points off of Troyes, obviously, which would be full safety at least anyway in terms of um having to face a relegation playoff at least this has to be last chance to loon doesn't it a, a, a loss here at least with leo playing Amiens and the likes and, and obviously the games to come as well um this feels like their their absolute last chance of of trying to maybe stage one of the greatest escapes that we might ever see in european football yeah yeah absolutely i think i think i would add a you know a slight kind of nuance to that in that i think if they lose here like automatic safety is probably beyond their reach. But I think there's still, you know, there'll still be a possibility of them making that sort of third bottom relegation playoff spot. Because I can see Trois and Lille kind of, you know, continuing on their poor form, which might give Mets a little bit of an open door or a little bit of the door left open a little bit to kind of catch them and finish third bottom, maybe. So it, it, uh, it's maybe not entirely last chance saloon. But obviously, if if Tuar somehow get a pitch over Nice, and obviously they beat Nice earlier in the season, and if you know Leo Leo get a result, then that that kind of blows it out of the water a little bit. But it's it's, it's they they are clinging on, aren't they, by their fingernails? And I, I think it's a shame, you know, the second half of the season they've actually been okay. Um, it's just that the first half was so disastrous. You know, this was it six points after fourteen games. Uh, you, it's recovering from that. We wrote them off at that point, I seem to remember. Um, so even recovering to this point is, is relatively impressive. But it just feels like that they're starting to run out of games, isn't it? And it, it might be it might be a little bit too much. Mm. And if anything, this has come at an ideal time for Strasbourg, just as they start to, to slip back into the mire, really, after what we thought 
was pretty much safety sort of back in January. We thought they they probably were too far back uh, in front of everyone, but they've slowly sort of crept back into that. They'll be they'll be disappointed that that the crazy crazy sort of three minutes, well, five minutes at the end of the game against Toulouse sort of cost them a victory. Obviously, Toulouse came back to two one, and then they grabbed a, an own goal in the last minute, Strasbourg, to make it a draw at least. So at least they earned something away from home, but. Their fixtures left are also against a lot of sides around the Des Angers after this Mets game, which will be another big game at Amiens in, in two weeks after that with Saint-Étienne sandwiched in between them. After that, you might worry that um, games against Nice, Rennes, Lyon and, and Nantes might be a, um, a, a tough ask if they need to start picking up victories. So this is as much an important game for them as it is for Mets to try and pull away from home but they've been a bit funny it almost feels like for me and I don't know what you think to this Adam that Strasbourg maybe are a bit similar to sides like uh, Montpellier last season where it feels like it will be the lacklustre quality below them that sort of saves them rather than maybe their own successes and quality that keeps them up yeah I think that that will probably end up being the case and it's interesting that you said they, they're kind of slipping because they were at one point sort of mid-table like sort of 12th 13th and we as you said, we thought like that was that was kind of them relatively safe. And the only the only issue is that it's almost the opposite to Leo is that have they got enough time to mess it up sufficiently to get relegated? And they're sort of slipping in that direction. And it maybe if the season was forty games long rather than thirty eight, they might be a little bit in a little bit more trouble. But again, the the the, the quality below them or the lack of quality below them will probably come to their rescue in the end. And I, I think there there is a little bit of there's to be something. There's something about the Stras, the Strasbourg team. You know, they're they're very they're very good. It's a difficult place to go. You know, they've got great home fans. Players like um, Leonard, Martin Terrier, Ahulu's been really good. Takasa's good on his day as well. Kenny Lala's had a good season. There's a little little bit of quality there, in a similar way to some of the other sides down there. Um, that it it feels like they may just, and maybe in the same way to mention with Amazon, maybe even more so, that they may just scrape those couple of wins because they've got one or two players who can produce something, and and it'll be enough to keep them up. Um, but I, I, as we said before, it'd be great to see them start because they're you know a credit to the league and 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 it's a brilliant atmosphere in Strasbourg. So I think they may just have enough as well in a similar situation to one or two other sides because there is some pretty poor teams down there, you know, Tuar and. As I said, you know, Leo are lacking confidence in Mets as well, and they, 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 it might be enough to, to save them. But I think it, they've probably just about timed their slip pretty well in that that they probably won't slip enough to get relegated. Mm, yeah, I completely agree, and it, it, it's it's an interesting one. I, I know we we might sound a little bit biased at Strasbourg in times we like we we do hope that they so, but but the difference is compared to a lot of league and sides in it well, down the bottom and the Deux sides really coming up is that they have some kind of long-term plan to try and make something of themselves in Liga which yeah. we don't it might surprise a lot of English fans at least anyway but you don't get that often enough really in French football it's nice to have a have a team that does have an idea of what and an identity of what they they really want to be and the, the hope is that though like you say they're that they maybe have done enough to sort of save themselves already. And, and really these next four games, they should be able to really pick up enough to, to be just about a, away from the danger of when the uh, sticky stuff comes in the, the last four games, really. So um, let's get a prediction on this one, Adam. And um, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to say one each. 
I, I'm going to go for a sneaky one nil Strasbourg win. Uh, I think this is maybe the the death knell really in Mets, and it's a shame because they they have put up at least a sturdy fight in the second half of the season. But and uh, especially with Nolan Rue leading the line and, and surprising us as he has, but uh, I think this will be the sort of end of them and uh, maybe a, a little bit of a mini Strasbourg revival that uh, that saves them. On to the the final game of the weekend, at least in Ligue 1, there and it's uh, between Lyon and Toulouse. So affecting both sides of the table this time, at least anyway, and starting with the home side, really, who got a massive victory um, against Marseille, although they they were good, but they weren't great at the same time. It's a bit of a funny one, really, for them at the moment. They have a couple of players that are, are coming, looked a little bit brighter in this one, especially, again, that midfield sort of highlighted itself in, in this, that game as well and, and showed their quality. The, the youth in Ndombele and Toussaint really come to the fore in those big games. But it is these smaller games this season that have really been the question mark for Lille. There's been a lot of... Um, uh, Leon, sorry, that uh, they've had a couple of results that were well within their grasp and they've allowed to slip away against these sides. I'm thinking the draws against Angers, against Dijon. Um, I'm thinking the one against... Uh, well, obviously, in Saint-Étienne more recently as well. The... A couple of the, th- the other three threes that, that they allowed, they allowed Leon, uh, Lille back into the game back in November and lost that one. Um, it's just a couple of those this season that have allowed to slip out of their grasp, out of their grasp. Sorry, and that's what puts you a little bit of a marker on this game, doesn't it, Adam? That you think that a Toulouse side that are slowly getting back into a bit of form, although they they keep not quite winning, they keep really drawing which isn't quite exactly what they want but it feels like a Toulouse side that are slowly starting to get things together and a Lyon side that have again very similar to the Paris Saint-Germain game uh, back in January got a big lift from a big win but at the same time that can be as poisonous to the side at the moment really as it can be helpful. Yeah absolutely and I think it's the, the main issue here for me is whether Lyon can finally kind of buck that trend that they've that you mentioned in that it's almost become Genesio's, Bruno Genesio's um, sort of narrative as, as Leon coach and arguably Leon's sort of narrative of the of the season or even the last few seasons as a whole is that when they finally look like they're going to challenge, you know, they, they get an important win or if you if run, run a good run of form together, perhaps at the start of this season or that win over PSG in particular, that it, it evaporates pretty quickly and Genesio kind of does enough to keep his job. And and that's about it. And then they, they sort of trail off again until they, they sort of pull like another victory, like the one against Marseille, which is a superb game. It was a great game of football. And actually put it out of the bag and, and you know, everybody's optimistic again. And they're two points behind Marseille and they're thinking, yeah, we can we can make the Champions League this season and uh, and and everything's fine. And Genesio has worked out his team and, you know, the the, the players are, are so erratic. Bergen Troy, Memphis Depay, those sort of players are, uh, you know, they're, they're the best, they're their best selves all of a sudden. But what would be standard for Leon here would be to go and draw or nil-nil or perhaps even lose uh, here to, to, to lose, as you said. Although I have a thing, I have a feeling that to lose are so terrible away from home that it, it may be, it would be extremely sort of, um, sort of, so sort of self-inflicted for Leon to go and not win here. It feels like this is this is almost a, not a gimme, but almost the perfect game for them now to to keep pressure on Marseille. They've got a difficult game at Dijon, as you mentioned. Maybe they draw that game. Leon win here. They're level on points. And then you look at the final run-ins. You mentioned Marseille's. You know this. That's also a bit of a carrot for for Leon and Marseille's run-ins. Not bad, but theirs isn't either. They've got Toulouse, Metz, Amiens, Dijon, Nantes, and then. Um, Strasbourg, Nice. That's that's a very decent looking run in. So if they can somehow 
maintain the form they showed in the bigger games, then they, they, they've got a genuine chance of catching Marseille. But again, it, it comes back to the same issue of Lyon in that they, they struggle to break down teams that sit in against them. Their attackers need space. I don't know how Genesio, unless he makes some sort of radical changes to a team, perhaps makes, you know, uh, gives uh, Hossam uh, Awar the, the keys, as it were, uh, and, and puts him in charge of, of the sort of their midfield. I can't see how that's going to change. So it's, 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 it's sort of got a bit of a knife edge for Leon. But I think for now, this game, they, um, they should be okay. But uh, in the long run, you have a feeling that they're just, especially at home, they, they'll drop silly points and perhaps Marseille might disappear over the hill before we get to the last couple of games. Yeah, this is the funny thing for Leon now, isn't it? The, the fact that they got a big win, which is massive. It's pulled them a little bit closer again. They have got winnable games left that gives them a real opportunity, especially with Marseille still having Europa League commitments as well, which should give them confidence mm. that they can maybe catch them up. They'll be fresher. They don't have any good competitions to think about. But at the same time, you still have that niggling feeling that they, they had that run where they didn't win in six games in, in the league and you think that that was them done, but they, they just kept themselves in it. But at the same time, that, that niggling at the back of your head thinks that they, they might throw it away again anyway. And, and against the Toulouse side, that I do I did say was sort of improving. And ever since the sort of end of January, they won those games against Twan and Nice, lost to Paris Saint-Germain, and then the frustrating draws come in again. I mean... The draw against Amiens, okay, you can accept the one against Monaco because I thought they did really well to come back. But drawing against Mets when they drew against them early in the season, drawing against Strasbourg as well, where they had to sort of salvage that one more than anything when um, they were a goal down for a long period of that game and, and almost nicked it and still threw it away. They couldn't resist uh, giving away a goal in the last minute. And it reminds you of the draws against that we were mentioning at the start of the season where we were slightly worried if they dip a form on occasions the drawing at Saint-Étienne when they were they were slipping heavily I mentioned the one against Troyes the one against Gengomp as well they drew to Metz as well when they played them at home too many of these sort of silly thrown away points come back to bite you a lot but they might just have enough given the teams they have left they still have Lyon they still uh, sorry they still have Lille uh, they still have uh, Angers as well there's might be able to argue that games against Colin and Bordeaux in Gangon with them being more mid-table sides at the end of the season that, that they might have chances there. But at the same time, this feels like a, an interesting one for them, at least anyway, maybe their last sort of throwaway game, if you will, that they can maybe go for. Um, but at the same time, do you really have the confidence that a Toulouse side can, they can get a result in these kind of games when we've seen so much this season that they sort of give that false hope and then take it all away again quite quickly? Yeah, I, I think that's going to be the issue, isn't it? That I don't really have confidence that they can get results in this sort of game. And they're almost the only side in the league that I wouldn't give a, give them much of a chance after Leon got a really big result against one of the other big four. And then they go to Leon. I just think they're so bad away from home um, that it, it's the perfect game for Leon, really, to sort of sort of get over that that sort of narrative of theirs that they, they keep they keep kind of coming back to. Um, to lose just a, a couple of things that, that kind of standing out recently, like um, the, the Bev has kind of made a couple of changes from the from the Deprezier, and they're, they're sort of working. He's kind of dropped Alexi Alex Blanc, who was one of the players that Deprez highlighted as being one of his most important players. He's only started two of the last seven, 
and Yannick Karasek's coming and that's given him a lot more fight, obviously, uh, in midfield. He's the most combative player ever that I've ever seen, um, which is something they really needed. And I was surprised he wasn't involved more under Depraz. He felt like he was a perfect Depraz player and he, he didn't really, he was barely used really for a long time. But he started, what, the last nine or eight or nine or so and has been really solid for them. So they've had that a little bit more, sort of a little bit more battling performances in the midfield. And Crystal Julian dropped out of the team. He was suspended for three games and struggled to get back in. And Kevin Amion moved to centre-back. And that was also a pretty good idea from Debev. And it sort of shook up the team and shook up the defence a little bit. And, and they, they, that worked relatively well. And the final point is Yaya Sonogo. Um, he, he's what started sort of six, seven of the last eight, I think. And he scored four in his those seven games, or his last seven games. And he's he's actually played really well. He's actually played like uh, he sort of played that target man really well. He's held the ball up. He's worked really hard. Um, he's he's sort of looked okay with the ball at his feet. He's scored a couple of goals, and he's keeping sort of keeping Andy Delore at the team. And it may be it's sort of the functional aspect of, of Sonogo that's sort of shining through and, and Kajak as well that might be enough to keep to lose uh, in this division. And it, it's it, Debev's kind of sort of figured out a way to eke out some sort of form. Like they're still pretty poor, but it's it may, like those other teams, there may be worse teams than them. It may just be enough. That sort of functional aspect of Sonogo and Kajak, they're difficult to play against. They're awkward. They might just be enough to, to for the bev to keep them up, and but unfortunately, I don't know if that extends to this game. <laughs> As I said, I think I think this is uh, the perfect game for Leon. But to lose is not necessarily looking up, but it's not looking any further down either. So it's 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 next season that's going to worry me with them whether they keep Grado it's on loan and Bruno's on loan. Diop might go; he's very highly sought after. A Lafont might go, and they could be they could be pretty terrible next season if they don't make the right moves. But the bev might have just done enough so far. Mm, yeah, you, you do. The Bevers might just be sort of dragging them, kicking and screaming across the line. They're sort of mm. looking straight ahead, hoping that they can get something. Yeah, and I agree with you, Adam. You worry about next season. You worry about those lone players, and then Diop's probably going. Album Lafont is making the noises supposedly that he wants to leave as well. Which, it, uh, while his step ups that sound like in the papers maybe sound a little bit too large, yet it, it might be worth him um, looking. Uh, at the exit door at this moment in time. And then you also think of even the medium players, uh, middle sort of players of like uh, Christophe Julien, you think that maybe a mid-table um, Liga side like Saint-Etienne or, or, uh, or Rennes or someone like that might might be mm. interested in picking someone in like him off with, uh, maybe at a budget price. Kevin Amian as well, who is a young fullback who's been playing for the under-21s as well. Maybe someone takes a chance on him as well. Pull a couple of them away and they they they, they could be in real trouble if they don't have a ways to replenish it. And, and Interesting, this one. I, I agree with you, Adam. This might actually be the perfect game for Leon, really, to get back on. And I, I think it'll be a 2 0 win for them. Um, what do you think, Adam? I might just go just 1 0. I think Leon will do their best to mess it up. <laughs> they'll, they'll try their hardest, as they always yeah. say. <laughs> um, on to the big set piece that happens on Saturday night, and that's the uh, Coupe de la Ligue final. Uh, the Matboutal Antique in Bordeaux. Um, it's going to be a, a wonderful affair, really. There's some interesting little tidbits in this one. There's going to be uh, Jérôme Rotem and uh, Ludovic Julie um, kicking the uh, ceremonial kickoff, as it were, and uh, there's some. Uh, extra guests as well, including uh, Jürgen Klinsmann, for whatever reason. I don't quite understand why uh, the Germans heading to uh, to the, uh, the French uh, Coupe de Ligue. Monaco? Final. Is that why? Did he play yeah, for Monaco? 
for the briefest time, wasn't it? It's a, it, it kind of counts in nowadays. They're just trying to pick out any kind of celebrity for a, a well, the League Cup final as it is in France. But between the two big sides of Paris Saint-Germain and Monaco, it's the first piece of silverware for both of them this season. And, and starting with um, PSG, who would be sort of, they've, well, they've run it the last uh, four, four seasons in a row, including Mon- beating Monaco last time out as well in, the, in this uh, Cup final where we thought maybe that might derail Monaco given the the result, but they ended up uh, only really galvanising them at least in the league form. But um, this is an important game for Paris Saint Germain because not just because obviously it's silverware, which is important to every footballer really, but missing out on silverware is probably even more of a crux given that last season was a disappointment of not winning the league. Um, obviously, this season so far has been a disappointment because they dropped out of the Champions League so early, although the league seems to be wrapped up but if they lose this game as well that's just an extra nail in what looks like Hunai Evry's coffin already but this is still a big game for them yeah absolutely um it's you're right Emery's pretty much gone I, I mean I'd be amazed if he was there next season I think it's just the way that PSG work and I think it's pretty much fair enough that they assess it at the end of the year and make their decisions there the same thing happened with Blanc and you know he he looked like he was pretty much gone, and it that was you know, he sort of came to fruition as it looks like it was Emery. But I think you know this is Emery's team, and 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 he deserves to see it out to the end of the season. So I'm sort of on board with that. But it's it's a big game for PSG because they, as we said, they were poor in the Champions League, and that was their their main target this year with those signings of Mbappe and and Neymar costing 400 million euros. You know you you. Yeah they would have been expecting to obviously been expecting to make headway in a competition and once again they haven't so they're left with they're left with domestic domination as always and it's it's ridiculous when you say domestic treble is a consolation prize but that is the case and anything less is an utter disaster for them now um the same way it was last season when when you know anything less than those winning those cup games would have been cup finals as they did is an utter disaster and I think I'm right in saying that I don't think anyone else has won a cup in France for three and a half four years I think they've won the last six cups of maybe even seven, um, one, four of one and three of the other. So, you know, this is kind of their tournament and it would really show show in terms of the project a drop off if they were to lose to Monaco here and they win what is a very open for them Coupe de France with Caen and then a league and a national side in the final. That would be a huge, huge statement of that the, the Paris Saint-Germain project is not failing, but it's definitely not hitting the heights that it's supposed to. So this is the biggest game left of the season by some distance. It's arguably the only game left of the season. The league's won. They should win the Coupe de France without any hassle at all. But it's it's an opportunity for them to show that, one, they can still play good football against a good side. I haven't seen them do that for some time. They've been very good against up teams outside the top four this season in Ligue 1. But of course they are because they've got so many good players. It's They, they overpower those teams. And um, uh, those biggest sides in the Champions League, they were poor against Real Madrid and they, they were... You know they they weren't they were okay in the group, but that as soon as it came, they came the pressure away at Bayern Munich. They struggled there too. So this is where they need to really show that they there is some sort of not progression, but there's still life in the PSG project. And this game was really good last season. PSG won it four one. I seem to remember in the in the League Cup final, and it was the only time I've seen Thiago Silva in the last two years put in a leadership performance where he really bullied Mbappe. Or out of the game, he, and I think I've I heard reports that he was in tears afterwards because he was so like on him. It'd be good to see Joe Silva play that more often, right? but I think this is 
this is the, their biggest game remaining, and it'd be, it's going to be it's going to be really good, and it's going to be a really tight game. And I think Monaco still fancy their chances, but huge to PSG. A loss is is a real statement that their their project is on the wane. Mm, yeah, and I think that makes an interesting point that it maybe isn't important to Emery really because he's, he's essentially a dead man walking essentially mm. but it maybe is a more important statement to the squad really especially with Neymar out and like you say the project sort of stalling in a way uh, in terms of at least Champions League progress which is the, the most important thing if they do lose this game the questions will start to be asked of, of those players that start this final really and, and the players in the squad are they good enough do they still need additions and bits like that and it's nice of them to throw the the uh very, very heavy Fabinho links into the press the, the, just, just before the game. I think, I think the Monaco fans and the players and, and staff will be delighted to have heard a bit of that. And, and that's the right kind of signing for them. But at the same time, that, that should make the other players nervous that may, they definitely still need to put in a performance that they haven't really done for, for a couple of months now, really, if you, if you argue really that in the bigger games, they've not quite blown teams out of the water. They obviously lost that game against Leon. They, they were Pretty good against Marseille, but Marseille weren't great in that game either. It just may add an extra wrinkle because as well, this Monaco team, and I think people keep forgetting, are in terrific form, really. They lost two games since December in all competitions. That's against Porto with that 5-2 that didn't really matter. It was They were already outside of the Champions League, really, anyway. And the 3-2 defeat in the uh, round of 32 in the Coupe de France to Lyon, which is an anomaly, really, to the rest of the, the time, really. There, there is a few draws thrown in there, but they've not lost in 15 games in the league, which is which is really incredible form. And, and a couple of players have really come to the fore, really. And, and one I wanted to talk about, really, with you, Adam, and I, I hope you share the same opinion, really, as me. Let's see if, we, if I've got this one right. And that's Stefan Jovetic, who has yeah. been terrific in the last couple of weeks, scored plenty of important goals, came on against Lille as well and scored the winner in that one. Um, a really lovely finish. He's really found his feet in Monaco now. And in, if I'm not, if you, if I think if we're being absolutely honest, given that Falcao's um, injury hits recently, especially that he's been their best player. Yeah, definitely this year, definitely in 2018 he has. I absolutely agree that he's been superb um, since, since the turn of the year. And I think it's it's reflective of Monaco as a club. Jovetic is kind of sort of um, rejuvenation and his, his his sort of hitting a form. And you mentioned I haven't lost in 15 in the league. And this is the way that this club works. And it, they they I think PSG are lucky that they've caught them in sort of the start of a new cycle. And they kind of work in 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 cycles, I wrote a piece for the site about uh, Leonardo Jardim before the before the break, and it's really interesting, sort of going into detail on on him and 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 finding sort of out his sort of motivation and 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 the way that he sort of sees the club, and he really does. He's got a very unusual attitude towards towards the whole situation, and and it, 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 he sort of just wants to develop players. He's he sort of he just wants his to improve the players that he has and work with the players that he's got, and doesn't perfectly for Monaco doesn't necessarily place too much importance on, on running the development side and and he, he sees that you know then they are going to lose players that's just the way the club works they're going to lose players over the summer and they'll once they get a good team they'll improve and those players will be sold and that's happened twice at least already since Dimitri Robulev and Vadim Vasiliev took over and the, 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 he's very good at at rejuvenating and rebuilding a team it takes a little while 
And you can't deny that they lost so many good players that season. It was going to take a while, and they started the season okay. But then as soon as they run into some difficult fixtures, they they trailed off. And but now you're seeing Jardim's effect since the turn of the year because he's found a way to get the best out of this team. And it was kind of only a matter of time. And Jovetic is sort of indicative of that in that he was injury here. He was sort of a bit out of the side, lacking in form and confidence. Hasn't been the player that people were kind of expecting to be perhaps since his Manchester City days, and at least consistently, maybe. And and Jolim's got the best out of him. He's found the best place for him in the team, and he's given him the confidence um, that he needs to play the football that we know he can play. And that's true of so many of the players this season and last season. I think we'd said about PSG, you know, it'd be a statement if they kind of lost this game and it shows where the project is. They're lucky that Monaco on at next season when they sign a few more players and they because they won't lose anyone this summer really. Maybe Fabinho, maybe Lamar, I suppose. But the core of their sort of their, the developing team will, will carry on. And and Monaco scored 95 points last season. I think PSG actually got more points last season than they did in two of their previous league title wins. So it's kind of almost like PSG have won the sort of by default this season because Monaco have been in this transition period. And if you're at stage, which you imagine you will, if Falcao stays too, they've got a basis of another really, really good team, Monaco. And next season could be another title fight between the two sides. And... I think that if Jovic plays like he has in previous games, this could be the start of the start of that Monaco putting pressure on PSG again, and it, they they ambushed them last season. They could do it again here. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I I fear that Leonardo Jardim has done a terrific job, and this Monaco side every single season it seems sort of hit high gear in the second half of the season, and and perfect timing for them really to try and win the last piece of silverware because this is their be on all end all really this season for this this team it, it's a chance at silverware to upset Paris Saint Germain once more, and and they yes they can close the season out and, and will be a comfortable second it looks like at least anyway, but this is this is really the only thing they have left of this season, so it'd be great if they can follow up a, a great league win last season with a with a nice. Uh, extra bit of silverware mm. in the pocket because it does feel like in the summer with the amount of, of big vacancies there may be, especially in England with Arsenal and, and Chelsea and, and Paris Saint-Germain obviously having the vacancy as well, they're all going to be looking at Leonardo Jardim and rightfully so and it feels like maybe that this is the unfortunately the last season of him at, at, at the Stade Louis do because he's done a terrific job and, and rightfully so big teams in Europe are taking very big attention of how he's been able to not just um, recycle squads, which is incredibly impressive but improve teams as they go along that's such a massive thing that um, teams are starting to realise the likes of Pep Guardiola how important that can be in modern football and he's maybe the ideal man for any of those teams if they can grab him um, to build sort of a, a, a functional team in a te- in an in a club where they can actually keep players long term which is um, maybe something he might have to get a little bit used to anyway if he does move on um, let's get some score predictions Adam uh, what do you think I think it's might get to extra time uh, maybe PSG 3-2 in extra time. I'm going to be maybe a bit controversial on this one. I, I'm going to go for 2-2 um, and a Monaco win on penalties. Um, oh. I think they'll nick it. It'd be really nice for them to just get that little bit of silverware. Not to, mm. Just because Paris Saint-Germain have such a stranglehold on the Coupe de France, especially, I think uh, it'd be nice if one of the other Cups could <laughs> go somewhere else for a little bit. But uh, we'll wait and see. I think it's going to be an excellent game as well. Both teams will be definitely up for it. Monaco, knowing this is their last chance, really, of any kind of silverware this season. Paris Saint-Germain, knowing how important uh, any kind of silverware early will be to uh, make this season look a little bit better after the, the Champions League elimination. Uh, that's all for this week. Um, my thanks to Adam and all of you listening at home. Uh, do join us for the main show on Monday, which will be
be at the slightly later time of half 10 next week uh, on GMT. Uh, but for now, enjoy your weekend of football. <laughs>